This is Double Truck Stories, the home for some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Justin Ellis. The world of Overwatch is filled with tropes that might sound familiar to anyone who's ever played a video game. There's a ragtag group of heroes who band together to save the world from an onslaught of evil robots. Released in the spring of 2016, the game now has more than 30 million registered players worldwide, with a particularly massive following in Korea, where amateur and professional teams square off in front of fans. Last year, the game came into the spotlight because of its own alleged cheating scandal. A 16-year-old Korean girl who goes by the gamer tag Giguri seemingly burst out of the scene from nowhere and was so good, she was accused of faking it. She cleared her name, even going so far as to put on a live demonstration of her skills in front of an audience. Gaguri, it seems, had scored a victory not just for herself, but in advancing the cause of female gamers. In this week's show, Mina Kimes travels to Korea to follow Gaguri, who, not long after clearing her name, found herself without a team. A spectator in the game she says she fell in love with before she even played it. It's the story of how one of the lone female gamers in the male-dominated world of esports became an icon, but also the reluctant face of a growing feminist movement in Korea. After the story, stay with us as Mina and I talk about how you make writing about video games just like writing about any other sport. If you like Double Truck Stories, do us a favor real quick and subscribe to the show wherever it is you listen to all of your favorite podcasts. And now, here's Game Interrupted by Mina Kimes. Game Interrupted by Mina Kimes. It took less than two seconds to change Kim Sehun's life. In June 2016, Kim, who plays under the gamer tag Gagory, was competing in an amateur Overwatch tournament from her parents' house outside Seoul. Her team, UW Artisan, had come out firing. The announcer screamed Gagory's name as she and her five teammates shot up their enemies on a map called Lijiang Tower, darting between skyscrapers and pagodas beneath a murky violet sky. After momentarily wiping out its opponents, Gagory's team hung back, and the camera landed on her avatar, a brawny Russian woman named Zarya, who wields a comically large gun. Then something strange happened. As Zarya spun around in a circle, scanning her allies, her movements appeared oddly crisp and robotic. Click, click, click. It was a fleeting moment, and it would have gone unnoticed if not for what happened next. After the match, whispers started to surface online that Gagory, then just 16 years old, was cheating. She had already developed a reputation in South Korea for her impeccable shooting and win ratio, stats that placed her among the top Zarya players in the country. But the incident at Lijiang Tower aroused suspicions that Gagory's ultra-precise aim was a little too precise. Several players on Dizziness, the team UW Artisan had defeated, took to the forums to accuse her of aimbotting, or using hacks to sharpen her skills. One of them wrote, If there is a problem with our sponsors and such, I may visit Gagory's house with a knife in hand. I'm not joking. Gagory's coach contacted Blizzard, the company that makes Overwatch, hoping to clarify what had happened. But in the meantime, the story exploded online. Overwatch, which was released in May 2016 and now boasts more than 30 million registered players, had already cultivated a huge following in Korea. 
The lurid attacks on Gagarin were perfectly calibrated to capture fans' attention and to provoke debate about the glaring void of women in esports. While female gamers don't have the same physical disadvantages against males as, say, female basketball players, very few have thrived on a professional level. In Seoul, where corporate-sponsored teams live in gaming houses and play in front of packed arenas, the top players are all men. The scandal swirling around Gagarin felt like a tipping point. She was a unicorn, and people didn't believe she was real. Everyone was attacking her brutally, says Kim Young Il, one of the announcers called Casters, who broadcast the tournament. As the online abuse mounted, Kim invited Gagarin to stage a demonstration to clear her name. Gagarin accepted, but when she arrived at his studio, Kim says it was clear that the high school girl wasn't mentally ready to face the public. She had to tape the introduction several times because she was so anxious, and she wore a white mask to hide her face. After Kim introduced her, Gagarin apologized for the accusations and said she didn't even know how to cheat. Her microphone quivered in her hand. Kim paused, waiting for Gagarin to continue, but she was silent. He chuckled awkwardly. Well, we can all watch her play, and you can judge whether she used the assist tax or not, he said. After Gagarin bowed and dipped out of sight, the feed switched to her computer screen, where she was playing her signature character Zarya. Not long after the demonstration began, she clashed with an enemy warrior called Reinhardt. While chipping away at his shield, she noticed another opponent, Tracer, a cheeky British pilot, flitting past her. Gagarin pivoted and shot at Tracer, painting her with continuous fire. As the demonstration progressed, she racked up kill after kill, and the commenters watching the game praised her mechanics. She did a brilliant job, Kim says. Obviously, she has good aim, but there's also the timing of her skills. She plays so smart. After over an hour, Gagarry stood up from the computer and joined Kim. He asked her whether she wanted to comment on her performance. She said she did, then paused, her microphone drooping in her hand like a wilting flower. "I hope you can say something that's on your mind," Kim said. "I was so nervous. I didn't play well," Gagarry replied. Then she went silent. Her eyes darkened behind her mask, and she hunched over, crumpling under an invisible weight. The demonstration was a huge success. Despite Gagarin's critical self-appraisal, fans flooded the forums to compliment her performance, which was viewed more than three million times. Gagarin acquired thousands of followers on social media. Young girls who sent her messages and hand-drawn pictures of frogs with Zarya's shock of pink hair. Gagarin is the Korean word for frog. Blizzard confirmed her innocence. Her movements had appeared glitchy because of a bug in the game's camera. It felt like a crack had formed in the industry's glass ceiling. But in the ensuing months, her team's performance took a dip, and as of this past spring, it was rumored she was no longer competing at all. Curious to learn what happened, in May I contacted Gagarin, who agrees to meet me and my interpreter for lunch in Sangsu, a neighborhood of Seoul popular with teenagers. She takes a long train ride from her parents' house and shows up with Jang Akaros Jisoo, a former UW artisan teammate who is now one of the few female Overwatch casters. While nearly a year has passed since her demonstration, Gagarin looks younger in person, with round, rosy cheeks. 
Her black-rimmed glasses accentuate her girlishness in the way that precocious children seem smaller when they use big words. Gagory started playing video games when she was five years old. In 2015, when Blizzard released a trailer to promote Overwatch's release, she was mesmerized. When I pictured first-person shooters, there was always so much blood. But Overwatch was bright and animated, she says. I fell in love with it before I played it. After borrowing a classmate's password to play a beta version of the game, Gagory burned through her allowance going to PC Bangs, the omnipresent Korean internet cafes, and practiced for several hours every day at home, sharpening her skills on her family's sluggish computer. She tried to find partners, but male gamers didn't want to team up with her when they heard her speak. At one point, she considered buying a computer program to modulate her voice. After a few weeks, she met Akaros, a college student who was known for her prowess at another Blizzard game, Heroes of the Storm. When the two players first encountered each other on the Overwatch servers, Gagory didn't realize she had run into another girl. It wasn't until they chatted offline that she realized what they had in common. Akaros, now 21. Invited her to become a member of her amateur team, UW Artisan. If she wasn't there, I definitely never would have joined. Gagory says. Before we met, I never used voice chat because everyone just teased me. But after meeting her, I was able to communicate with other players playing the game. UW Artisan played its now infamous match against dizziness not long after that. The dizziness players messaged me insistently and asked if Gagory was aimbotting. Akaros says, looking at the videos, she was so good they were sure about it. Gagory was flattered at first. The fact that they thought I was cheating must have meant I was good, she says. Then the chatter took an ugly turn. Because they attacked me publicly, everyone in the community was attacking me, calling me a crazy bitch. Gagory reaches under the table where we're eating lunch and holds Akaros's hand. I was scared. Gagory's teammates stood by her as the drama unfolded, and once she had cleared her name, UW Artisan's profile rose. Later that summer, the team was purchased by Ehome, a Chinese company, and Gagory moved into its gaming house, splitting time between Seoul and Daejeon, where she still attended school. But in the ensuing months, several players left, and the team struggled. Akaros suffered a shoulder injury and was forced to stop playing, so she moved out. Gagory wanted to stay in the house, but her parents, who had approved of the arrangement when Akaros lived with her, insisted that she move home to finish her classes. Because high school is optional in Korea, many young gamers simply drop out. Not long after that, Gagory says she stopped practicing with the team, which phased her out of the starting lineup. After lunch, the two girls walk to a nearby PC bang. The room is dark and windowless, with blood-red walls. It looks like a dungeon that holds computers instead of shackles. A smattering of men sitting in padded chairs are playing Overwatch, their heads swimming in dumbbell-sized headphones. The two girls sit next to each other and tweak the settings on their computer screens. Gagory famously plays with an unusually high level of mouse sensitivity. When she navigates a map and fires her weapons, she barely moves her hand. Whenever she logs into a new game, strangers notice her tag. Hey, it's Gagory," writes one player in the chat thread. Another adds, "You're that girl." As Gagory toggles screens to check her stats, she mentions that she's often recognized online. 
Many of the messages she receives are from fans. Others come from trolls, men who mock her looks and tell her she needs plastic surgery. In the beginning, I cried a lot, she says, but I got used to it as time went by. Over the past year, she explains, she's grown tougher, less vulnerable to the doubts people cast upon her, as well as the ones she had sown in her own mind. I wasn't always like this, but I decided I needed to believe in myself to be good, she says. I need to play with no regrets. Every week, Apex, Korea's professional Overwatch League, holds matches at its eSports arena, which sits inside a nondescript office building in a business district of Seoul. On a Friday night, dozens of young women flood the lobby, piling onto couches and sipping cold tea. A few wear curlers in their bangs, which they'll unfurl before the fan meetup after the competition. One of the squads playing that night is Kong Du Panthera, a team of young men with lustrous hair, buttermilk-colored skin, and, not unrelatedly, a rabid fan base. The team knows its audience. Later that night, the players come out in matching sailor outfits. Two college girls are sketching anime-like renditions of Kong Du stars on paper signs called cheerfuls. When I ask them why they've come to the event, they rave about the team, but add that they too are gamers. We play more than 10 hours a week, says Park Sung-un, a 20-year-old college student. While Blizzard says it has no way of breaking down Overwatch's players by gender, the company acknowledges that the title is over-indexing with women. Some of this has to do with the design. Because Overwatch is a first-person shooter, it's more accessible than, say, StarCraft. The game also offers a variety of roles. Unlike most shooters, which tend to use dusty, bombed-out settings, the game is visually stunning, with a rich backstory and diverse characters. Overwatch's heroes, nearly half of whom are women, belong to an Ocean's Eleven-type squad assembled to combat a robot uprising. Tracer, the female character posing on the cover of the game, is a lesbian. I think we've done a decent job of getting over the notion that a shooter has to be a game with a grizzled dude in camouflage sitting on the cover, says Jeff Kaplan, the game's director. Heroes are male and female, and sometimes, goddammit, they're gorillas and robots, too. One of the heroes, Winston, is a gorilla scientist. While Overwatch is popular with female gamers, very few have climbed the professional ranks. As of this spring, there were a couple of women competing in China's top league, but none in Korea or North America. This isn't unique to Overwatch. Women are scarce in popular esports like StarCraft and League of Legends for reasons that are varied and complex. The number of female gamers is rising, but they're still outnumbered on the servers, and titles are primarily marketed to boys. Girls also face unique logistical challenges. In Korea, it's considered taboo for unmarried women and men to live together, which makes it hard for female gamers to move into team houses. This stigma applies in other countries, too. North American coaches have expressed concerns that co-ed players might develop romantic ties. Every female gamer I meet in Korea tells me she has been harassed, typically with profane sexual insults, while competing. Many have also faced accusations of cheating, a trend rooted in the fake geek girl meme, which is born of the paranoia that women with traditionally male interests are lying to attract attention. Hyun Ez Chunyung, a 22-year-old Heroes of the Storm player who recently became the first woman to win a match in the game's top Korean league, 
says that before she started competing at live tournaments, everyone was like, you can't be that good as a girl. Your boyfriend must be playing for you. Others accused her of ELO boosting or hiring someone to play on her account to inflate her statistics. Park, the college student waiting outside Apex's arena, says that while a woman has yet to break into the Premier League, it isn't for lack of desire. It's not necessarily that female gamers don't want to be professionals. There are a lot of female gamers out there who wish they could, she says. But the market is already dominated by guys. As she speaks, there's a rustling and her eyes widen. Gagory and Akaros are walking through the lobby, stopping every few feet when they are approached by female fans. When Park sees them, she leaps out of her seat and runs over with her friend. They bow and shake their hands, then take a photo with them. Gagory smiles, her cheeks flushing a deeper shade of pink. While Gagory hasn't competed for a couple of months, she's still practicing for several hours a night, hoping to find a new team. At the time, she ranked in the top 100 individual players on the Korean server. She says she has no hobbies outside of Overwatch and, other than Akaros, no close friends. She's trying to persuade her mother and father to let her transfer to a different school next year, one that would let her take time off during the day. My parents were against it at first, but I told them, all I've been doing since I was five is playing games, she says. She's even open to moving abroad. It doesn't matter where I'm going, I just want to be the best. Before the match begins, she and Akaros pick up tickets from a counter in the lobby and walk into the arena. As the lights dim, two groups of young men in soccer-style uniforms emerge on stage, their heads bobbing as they trudge toward their booths. Gagory finds a seat in the front row where she stares at the screen, her mouth set in a grim line as she watches the competition, relegated to sitting alongside the other female fans. A few days later, several dozen young women dressed in black gather on a sidewalk in Seoul's ritzy Gangnam neighborhood, where they assemble a banner that tells the story of a murder. One year ago, a man waited near a bathroom outside the Gangnam subway station around 1 a.m. and stabbed a random woman to death. The women now plan to hold a memorial in the victim's honor, culminating in a march to the subway station. They sit on the steps of a nearby office building, passing out dainty white flowers. Around 7 p.m., one of them walks to the front of the group, hoisting a megaphone to her lips. It's been one year since the death of the woman, and we can never go back to before it happened, she says. Let's speak up. Let's go out. Let's be angry. The murder at Gangnam Station marked an inflection point in Korea's nascent feminist movement. Over the past few years, women's rights groups have sprung up across the country, shining a spotlight on gender inequality and spurring a backlash among some men who have accused feminist organizations of extremist tactics. Women have made incremental gains in Korean society, but they still lag behind. Female workers earn, on average, 37% less than their male counterparts, an income gap that ranks 35th out of the 35 countries in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. While more women than men go to college in Korea, They hold just 2% of the management positions at the country's biggest companies, and they continue to bear the brunt of household labor. Jung So Rim, who works for one of the cable networks as a caster, says that earlier in her career, she earned significantly less than her male colleagues. When I first started, they'd say to my face, Hey, you have kids. Are you going to do a good job? She says. 
Jung persisted, going on to cast games like StarCraft, CSGO, Sudden Attack, and, most recently, Overwatch. But after nearly two decades, she, like Akaros, is one of just a handful of women in the booth. When the audience sees a female caster, they'll say, She's a woman, what does she know about games? Jung pauses, then adds, They don't say it to my face. As the sun sets in Gangnam, the march swells to more than 700 people. A number of progressive groups carry large flags, one of which is hot pink and white, with a cartoon drawing of a smirking bunny, the logo for Diva, Overwatch's Korean character. Diva, who hops around in a pink mech suit, is a StarCraft gamer enlisted by the government to battle giant robots. Back in January, the Diva flag appeared in a photo taken at Seoul's Women's March, and the image went viral. Not long after, it was revealed that the flag belonged to an organization calling itself the National Diva Association, a female gamers collective that had come together so that in 2060, someone like Diva could actually appear. The group's founder, a 24-year-old photographer named Kim Ji-young, is snapping pictures at the Gangnam Memorial. Kim, who's wearing a black leather jacket with a tiny diva pin, says she believes all Korean women, whether they're working, studying, or playing on the Overwatch servers, wrangle with the same forces of oppression. It feels like everywhere in Korea, people don't treat women like human beings, she says. When Kim created her group, which she says currently has about 50 members, she cited Gagory's case as an example of the sort of sexism female gamers encounter online positioning her as a feminist icon. But Gagory has shied away from the role, pointing out that dizziness accused her of cheating because of the glitch and her skill, not because of her gender. She later pushes back when women's rights activists try to enlist her to their cause. I didn't raise anyone's hand, she writes on Twitter. I am simply a shut-in who likes video games and dreams of playing professionally. Kim would remove the references to Gagory from the National Diva Association's website, acceding to her wishes to be left alone. But at the march, she says that while Gagory might not see herself as a feminist, she's still battling on behalf of other women. She's under a lot of pressure, Kim says. She's fighting a lonely fight. While Korea's second-tier professional league, Apex Challengers, features just eight teams, hundreds dream of making the cut. On May 13, about a dozen of them meet in a PC bank in Buchan, a city southwest of Seoul, where they will vie for two spots. Gagory's old team, now called E-Home Spear, has qualified for the tournament, and the six boys are sitting at a row of padded chairs. As they fiddle with their hardware, Gagory, who is standing a few feet to the side with Akaros, scans the room of young men and sees one of her old teammates, Park Radio Jaesong. He silently mouths hello. E-Home's first game is in Numbani, which is set on the outskirts of an African savanna. After a heated team fight, their opponents easily push their payload. In Overwatch, a payload is a vehicle that a team must push forward and win the map. As Akaros comments on the game, they were overextending, she explains. Gagory watches silently, frowning whenever the team makes a mistake. The team's coach, a 28-year-old former StarCraft II player, says he was hired by Ehome not long before Gagory left the house. While her departure had played a role in her benching, he says he also wanted to give another player a chance to start. 
He compliments Gagarin's mechanics, but mentions that her team communication was a weakness at times. I don't know if it's a gender issue, but girls and guys naturally think differently. He says, when guys have issues, girls may not be able to understand them. You have to be able to understand each other to communicate. After Ehome loses its second game, Akaros and Gagarin leave the PC Bang to grab lunch at a nearby restaurant. They take off their shoes and sit cross-legged as a waitress serves gamjatang, a heavy Korean stew made with pork bones. As the two girls eat, Gagarin admits that it's painful for her to watch her old team. She's concerned that when the team struggles, her reputation as a player suffers too. While she hasn't competed in months, she still has many female fans. I don't feel like I've lived up to them, she says. I want to prove that I'm really great. When they return, the PC Bang is eerily quiet. Then suddenly erupts into a cacophony of male voices. Players bark orders at their teammates, and the room grows chaotic to the point of hostility, like the trading room floor of a stock exchange. Amid the clamor, I almost don't notice that Gagarin has sidled up to me. When I first started playing, if I spoke up, they'd say, "I don't want a girl on my team," she says. But nowadays, I'm shot calling. She stands on her toes, raising her voice to make herself heard above the screaming men. I want to lead the game. Gagarin and Akaros stick around for a few more hours, then leave for the train station. Both have long trips back to their parents' houses. The next morning, I go online and learn that Ehome Spear had advanced to the second round, then lost. I look up Gagarin's statistics and see that since the previous morning, her rank on the Korean Overwatch server has risen. After she had parted ways with Akaros and gone home, she logged on and played for several hours, fighting all by herself, deep into the night. A few weeks after the tournament in Buchan, Ehome Spear disbands. Then, just before the new season of Apex begins in August, news breaks that Gagarin has landed on a new team. Rocks Orcus, a challengers-level squad that had recently been promoted to the premier level, signed her to replace one of its players, making her the first woman. To ever play Overwatch at the highest level in Korea, after her tryout, Gagarin had persuaded her family to let her switch to a school that would allow her to take more time off. My parents weren't that fond of it, but I was stubborn, so they eventually gave in. She says, the team's coach Kim Bumhoon says that while Rox had looked at a few players, he picked Gagarin because of the skills she displayed while streaming. Noting that her unusual mouse sensitivity magnified her game awareness, he says that the idea that Rock signed her to attract publicity is completely false. Adding, "We actually had been looking at Gagarin for some time as a potential sub tank candidate, purely because of her skill. If anything, he continues, her gender worked against her. The team has rented separate living quarters for Gagarin, housing her at greater cost." On a Wednesday night, Rocks plays its first match against Afrika Freaks Blue, an experienced squad with several high-profile players. While Afrika has built a large following over several seasons, Rocks draws a sizable contingent of fans, including several girls carrying signs dedicated to Gagarin. One has drawn a smiling frog wearing sunglasses with lettering that says, "Wow, you're so cool." A young woman named Lee says she has rooted for Gagarin since the days of UW Artisan. When she heard the news about her joining Rocks, she says she almost cried. She had to go through a lot, and to a lesser extent, so did her fans. She says, "To see her in the booth now, to see her finally make it, to see her skills be recognized, 
I'm so happy. After the lights in the Apex Arena flicker off, pounding music thumps over the loudspeakers and the teams come out. Gagory, who is wearing a red and white Rocks jersey over black pants, walks at the rear of her team, stumbling a little before the players circle for a high five. The two squads break their huddles and line up in front of their booths, and Gagory crosses her hands in front of her body like she's standing for an anthem, her face impassive as she faces the crowd. Before the game begins, one of the American casters, Wolf Schroeder, announces that Gagory is Apex's first female Overwatch player. He tells the story of the cheating allegations. She defied the expectations people had for her online, he says. She defied people who said, no, you can't be this good. The first match takes place in Nepal, a King of the Hill-style map set in a snowy monastery. From the outset, Rox's relative inexperience is obvious. While the team holds its own in early fights, it suffers from a lack of coordination, wasting opportunities to close out games. After Rox loses the first match and the competition moves to a different location, Gagory switches from Diva to Zarya, her trademark character, and the crowd cheers. At one point, when Afrika's Reinhardt charges her team, she burns him down with her cannon, then snaps around and targets another opponent, going on a brief killing spree. Lee, her longtime fan, is awestruck. I can't believe this is real, she says. As the competition wears on, Rox slowly improves, and by the third round of matches, the team is pushing Afrika on point after point. In the final game, on a Russia-based map called Volskaya Industries, Rox performs well at first, but near the end, playing defense, one of Gagory's teammates deploys his ultimate ability at the wrong time, and the side collapses. After Afrika wins in overtime, Schroeder, the Apex caster, praises the underdog's effort. The team definitely performed better than many would have expected, he says. The camera pans to Rox's booth. The team seems drained, but not dispirited, and the coach beams as he walks in. A few seconds later, Afrika players file into the booth, and as is customary in Korean esports, they bow and solemnly shake their opponents' hands. After they exit, Rox's players stuff their belongings into their backpacks, chatting and laughing while they wrap up their keyboards and mice. As they prepare to leave, the broadcast lingers on Gagory one last time, capturing her as she smiles, eyes shining, before cutting away. Welcome back. That was Game Interrupted by Mina Kimes, who joins us now. Hey, Mina. Hi, how's it going? Very good, very good. So... You are no stranger to esports stories, and I'm wondering, first off, where did this story start for you? Yeah, so um, a couple of years ago, I went to Korea to write about League of Legends, which was then and still is one of the more popular esports in the world. And I focused on a player named Faker. Um, who was kind of like the LeBron of esports at this at this point, especially because in the two years since then, he's continued to stay on top, which is very difficult in uh, gaming for a number of reasons. So with this one, we took a really different approach. We wrote about a different game called Overwatch that was released last year and has quickly become one of the most popular video games. And it's, it's different from League of Legends in that it's a shooting game. It's a team-based shooting game. So it's a different genre. And... I also focused on a young woman who was not 
on a team uh, when I went to Korea, and she was kind of more of an aspiring professional, but she had already sort of developed a reputation in the country for being very good at the game and ended up writing about her instead. So this young woman, and I believe it's Gaguri, did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Somewhere close? Yeah. Excellent. As you point out in this, she it, she seems like she's shy and, and perhaps maybe apprehensive. Uh, I'm wondering how difficult it was to try to set up time and uh, and get an interview and just spend some time with her. It wasn't terribly difficult Um in this case, I always, when I do these stories, and weirdly, ESPN the magazine, I've gone to Korea three times in the last three years to I think do that stories means you're doing last something year. Right. I, I guess so, or they just think I'm actually half Korean, um, but I, my command of the language is, I'm told, two to three year old level. So I uh, <laughs> always, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not good enough to do interviews. Uh, so I hire a translator who helps me sort of set up these interviews, and I tend to try to find translators who are already kind of immersed in whatever world I'm writing about. So the first time I had a translator who had done some work with League of Legends. Um, and then last year I hired a woman to, I wrote about bat flips and hired a woman who um, was a huge baseball fan and knew a lot of the teams and players. And then this year um, I hired a female, a woman who was very involved in Overwatch and also it was very important to me to find a female translator sort of given the subject, Nate, the subject, and what I knew about um, just kind of Korean culture, and I thought it would it would be challenging to have a male translator asking some of the questions I wanted to ask, and I ended up finding a great a great translator who helped me connect with Gagory pretty easily. So, in terms of the time you spent there, how long were you on the ground? And for your reporting, you know, we always go into these things with a plan and and what we have mapped out and. How, what did you have mapped out and what sort of developed while you were there? So I wanted to watch Gagory compete and I knew she was on this team and I knew they weren't, you know, particularly high profile or very good, but very right before I got there, really, I learned that she was kind of no longer playing on the team. So oh then my, my question been, evolved into, okay, well, why is she not on the team? And, um, you know, is she, is she good at this? And what is she, how does she feel about all of this? So, yeah, so it actually ended up being interesting because we went and watched the, her old team compete together. And that in itself was very interesting to kind of see her on the sidelines in a number of situations, which so many women are accustomed to sort of that dynamic and to see her, you know, she's a very skilled player, um, kind of go through that was ended up being sort of a big part of the story in its own way. So one of the things that I was curious about in this story, you know, you, depending on the audiences that you come to it with a different level of understanding or knowledge about sports or, or, or society and things like that. With this story, obviously, there's a number of, of, of factors here. You're talking about Overwatch. You're talking about esports. You're talking about Korean culture. What's the challenge in, in not letting a story like this get weighed down by providing context about some of those different elements? Yeah, that's something I thought about a lot when I was writing my first story about League of Legends because I felt like I was writing for so many audiences at the same time, right? People who know the game and esports very well and you know don't really need you to walk them through everything. And then some of our readers, um, especially older readers who are befuddled or totally unfamiliar with this world, um, which I myself would have counted my, me as part of that group before I did my first story. And you're, you're do, it's kind of a bit of a balancing act, right? Because you want them to understand what you're writing about and 
you know, give them the context they need, but then you don't want to write a primer on gaming and esports, which I feel like a lot of um, mainstream stories about esports tend to be, you know, hey, there's this thing that kids love and there's a lot of money and, you know, <laughs> I, 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 so yeah, so many of them tend to fall into that trap. So what I try to do with these stories um, in, in both of these pieces and in this one as well is to write about them the way we write about anything, the way we write about, you know, football or basketball. I mean, just to take the same approach, which is to focus on story, give context where it's necessary, but to remember that the reason both newcomers and people who are already in this world will be drawn to any of these stories is going to be the stories themselves. And just to let that sort of guide um, how I write them. So one of the scenes that I really enjoyed in this was at the, uh, the esports arena, and um, you know, you have this experience of going with Gaguri and the other player. Um, when you're going into a scene like that, or a situation like that, I should say, you know, what what are you looking for there? What do you, what did you try to? What did you want to to come out of uh, sort of the reporting from that scene? So I had been to esports competitions before, um, and I knew that the fan base is largely female. Right. And which I think might be surprising to people who hadn't been there. And, and I also knew um, that a lot of them play the game as well. So for this story, because it is about a female gamer and because she's such a unique player and it's so rare, I was kind of in, I wanted to see her amongst these women. And I wasn't sure if any of them would know who she was. And I was surprised and intrigued to see that a lot of them did and that they admired her and they wanted to take their picture with her. And I was kind of moved by that um, because the story is about, you know, her journey trying to become a professional to see these female fans react to her in that way um, just kind of ended up guiding a lot of the story um, because she's become in some ways a symbol to a lot of them and a, a, not necessarily a willing symbol because she doesn't want that kind of attention, but a symbol nonetheless. And it was very interesting to see that kind of actually just manifested laid out in front of me. You know, you can see, oh, she has a big following on the internet and girls seem to really like her and they leave comments, but to see it in real life in real time was really compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, you know, she, she seems like a very reluctant, um, face of, of, uh, sort of equality and, and feminism in, in the gaming movement, but also, as you point out, it's sort of taken a larger, taken on a larger significance. Um, did you know that that was going to be sort of a second gear in this story? You know, you go and segue into the demonstration that takes place and some of the broader issues that are that are going on around um, equal rights. Was that something you knew you definitely wanted to have as a part of this piece? It was something I was interested in um, being familiar with Korean culture, having Korean family there, I've been there a number of times over the years. I kind of knew the backdrop of um, how it Korea lags behind in a lot of ways in terms of um, female equality. And, you know, the feminist movement there is very new. And the murder I talk about in the piece at Gangnam Station, it was a, a random murder or as a, a, mur a murder of a random woman, rather. Um, I knew that that was a big deal there, especially in terms of feminism and feminist groups. So I was interested in all of these things and interested in how they sort of laid on top of each other with respect to this piece and why they were important um, as a backdrop to understanding why it was so unusual for this girl to do what she was doing and what it meant to people. And 
So I, I ended up, I interviewed a lot of female gamers and there, there aren't a lot. I think I interviewed all of them really, um, <laughs> the professionals. Um, and a lot of those interviews didn't make it into the piece because it, I ended up focusing so much on Kiguri, but it was very compelling to hear and informative to hear their experiences and to, as I kind of address the question of why are there so many women, because it's not like traditional sports, right? Where there's obvious, you know, there's, there's, it's, you don't need anyone to explain why there aren't women in the NFL, but with video games, there's no reason why, you know, there shouldn't be a female players who perform at the highest levels. There's no physical disadvantages. So I saw that question as kind of a, almost a sociological one that I wanted to explore. Right. And as you point out, it's not that Blizzard knows this explicitly, but it seems like the game is, is very highly, um, indexed in terms of, of, of female players. So that seems like it's another interesting aspect of yeah. as well. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a unique game in that way, by the way. It's, you know, it's a shooter, but it, it that looks di- and feels different from shooters that have come before. Um, it's colorful. It has story. It has diverse characters. And I think that's part of the reason why it's been so appealing to women. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for the end of this piece, you know, we, we get, we get a happy ending here. And I'm wondering, as you said, you know, as you were jumping into the reporting of this, you found out that Kaguri was no longer on a team. Uh, how did the ending develop? You know, she gets this, you could get this happy ending where she's back on a team and she's competing again. Yeah. It was uh, fortuitous. Uh, it was interesting because I, I wrote, I reported this story in the spring and then, um, set it aside a little bit for the last story. Actually, I worked on Aaron Rodgers, which we just talked about, um, ended up consuming a little bit of my time this summer. And, you know, I'd written this story before she ended up on a team. So previously it would have ended, um, on the section before the final section. And then news broke in August that, um, an, a premier level team, which is in esports in Korea, there are two levels, kind of like the major and minor leagues. She wasn't even on a minor league team, right, at the time. Right. And basically one of the teams that had made it to the majors signed her. And so this was a huge, this is the first time this happened in Korea, you know, a woman playing at that level of this game. So I ended up just kind of picking it up again. And um, we had reporters in Korea who were able to do a little bit of on the ground reporting for me. And I got to watch her first game. And it was a just in some ways I was thrilled. I mean, thrilled for her, but also thrilled for, you know, to have that happy ending. But in other ways, um, it's kind of like Wayne's world where there's like the Scooby-Doo ending. Right. And there's multiple, <laughs> I, it was, it just occurred to me, wow, like it's great. She got a happy ending, but it is rare, yeah. right. For women in a lot of these situations. So it is it, it just kind of, I don't, I don't want to say I had mixed feelings about it. Cause I, I was definitely happy to end it this way, but it mm-hmm. was, um, it definitely changed the tone and tenor of the story in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, wh- how did you see her arc in this story? Because you begin this, and I, I love the way that you describe some of the the moments with her. You know, it, it's uh, you know the, she held the microphone and it sort of like lilted in her hand. I can't, I don't have the words in front of me, but um, you know, it, it seems like she starts in this place where she's sort of very shy and reluctant to be in this spotlight and over time we see some changes. Uh, how, how did you see her arc and in, in the way that you wanted to write this story? So the, the demonstration at the beginning, um, which is this moment that went viral where she was accused of cheating and had to prove herself and was filmed and did an interview. And it, it's really heartbreaking because you can feel how nervous she is, how just like, it looks like she has the weight of the world on her shoulder. She's not smiling. And 
at the end when she's competing on camera, I mean, she just looks really happy and confident and still not, she's still not like a extrovert by any means. And I don't think she'll ever be comfortable occupying that role, but it was very interesting to watch just a year and a half, that kind of transformation in a person. Um, she's from the moment I met her, I was kind of amazed by this blend of extreme confidence in her abilities with shyness, right? And um, a little bit of anxiety about just kind of the outside world. And in in the way that I think a lot of teenagers and especially teenage gamers kind of have those qualities, but um, it was interesting to watch that evolve over the course of just meeting her till now. Yeah, absolutely. Mina Kimes, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For this story and more, you can go to ESPN.com slash Double Truck. Double Truck, as always, is one word. This episode was created by the team at ESPN Audio and produced by Michael Rabier. The Double Truck team includes Ryan Graner, Rick Santos, Jenna Genevi, and Eric Neal. Just a reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe to Double Truck Stories on your favorite podcast player. We'd really appreciate that. We'll be back soon with more stories. Until then, I'm Justin Ellis. Thanks for listening.